Hi, welcome to the Theta Game Podcast, the official podcast at ThetaGame.com. I'm your host, Juni, and thanks for tuning in. These are only my opinions and anything said in this podcast and future podcasts should not be considered financial advice. Thank you. Jumping straight into earnings here, uh, earnings for this week is pretty light. Um, there's AutoZone before open on Monday, uh, before open tomorrow. I'm recording this September 18th, 2022, 7.36 p.m. Pacific time. After close on Tuesday, there's Aurora Cannabis uh, and also Stitch Fix. Uh, after close on Wednesday, there's KB Home and Trip.com, as well as Steelcase. Before open on Thursday, there's Accenture. After close on Thursday, there's Costco and FedEx. Nothing on Friday. The biggest two companies uh, I'll be looking at, which I think are also the two biggest companies by market cap, pretty sure are Costco and FedEx. Uh, FedEx earlier this week, um, the CEO was on, uh, were, were they on live money? Or I, I don't know. I don't know what section they were on, but they were on CNBC and the CEO was talking about how he saw that we were going uh, into a recession, um, that a recession is impending uh, for like the global economy. So not just strictly for the US, but for everywhere. Um, and that it's data backed. Um, he goes into a little bit about disappointment in the numbers that he currently sees for his company. And just to put this into context, uh, he announces this uh, a week before uh, the company earnings report, which is this coming Thursday after the bell. Uh, he's quoted to say, we're seeing that volume decline in every segment around the world. And so, you know, we've just started our second quarter. Uh, the weekly numbers are not looking so good, so we just assume at this point that the economic conditions are not really good. Uh, we are a reflection of everybody else's business, especially the high-value economy in the world. So that's true. Um, you know, if there are less packages being sent, um, you know, around the world, then that just means there are less people shipping packages, um, but also meaning people are probably buying less things. And so the economy is slowing down. Um, and a lot of that is like self-fulfilling prophecy too. Uh, if you, you know, indicate that, hey, we might be in a recession and things are gonna get worse, people are going to brace for impact and start to spend less, which is the goal of the Fed right now, right? They want to make sure that we know that we have to brace for impact, that things are going to get worse, so that um, you know when things do get worse, it's a little bit more controlled because we were expecting it. Uh, but then also to tell us like, hey, you know, be because it's going to get scary, uh, that you have to brace for impact. Maybe spend a little bit less, save up for a nest egg, um, and that would help actually fight inflation because that would mean that. Well, consumers are not paying the price of you know overly you know adjusted things like maybe uh, some food categories are priced abnormally high and some clothing products and some energy um, some energy products all these other things right like if you continue buying into these overpriced scenarios you'll never get the costs to come back down because you're decentivizing competition when you let people or companies start to compete with one another by price, that kind of drives costs back down. But if you were to say, for example, continue buying from all companies at a higher price all the time, 
then you know they have no real incentive to go lower. There needs to be some sort of cool off um, or I don't know. I don't like saying that you have to scare people to uh, control their spending behavior, but I guess that's like the most like that's like the most that that's the most elementary way that I can say. I think the most simplest way is that like if you don't scare people away from spending their money, they're going to spend their money. I think you kind of learned that from the pandemic, right? You inject all this money into the market, and then uh, yeah, everyone just goes haywire. People are buying. Um, Things that they thought they never needed, like Pokemon cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, paintings, uh, art, all different types of collectibles, uh, you know, plants, uh, furniture, like all these really random things. Every it felt like everyone had money, right? Like I remember, I was in my friend's car. We were driving to fishing, um, and we would like always drive past this high school. We'd like wait for like kids to cross the street, and um, I would just be like, you know. Like it feels like kids have a lot of money right now, and I, it's just like one of those like core memories that I'll probably have with him because this was like during, you know, when we thought the world was ending and we would like go fishing during like a work day because you know no one was working, everyone was just like caught up with the coronavirus and stuff, but like that was that was insane. Um, but the fact that I noticed it, like I was like, dude, kids are buying like thousand dollar Pokemon cards. I'm getting out sniped by these uh, Zoomers. Like, how the heck does everyone have money? And that, I think, was just like my, that should have been my own indicator for uh, inflation. Like, everyone just had money. Uh, but that has definitely cooled off. The collectible market has cooled off. Pokemon is still doing pretty well, but Magic the Gathering Yu Gi Oh! is doing pretty bad, um, in my opinion. Um, but anyway. Uh, controlling um, emotions is like a huge, a huge, a huge deal. I can I can kind of like go into real depths about that with just like, uh, <laughs> like controlling your own emotions. But if you know you need people to calm down and spend less, you're going to want to inject some sort of fear into the market. And there's nothing more fearful than you know messing up people's housing prices or nest eggs or like their money uh then saying like hey we're gonna about to go into recession hey we're gonna you know expect that unemployment goes up so it's all part of the fed's plan and i think this is a perfect segue into what's also coming uh this wednesday this wednesday uh is the next uh fomc meeting um the federal open market committee uh meets this wednesday and talks about how much more they're going to raise rates. Um, everyone and they mamas uh, think that they're gonna raise rates by 0.75. Um, I also think that's gonna be raised by 0.75. Um, there is um, a good chunk of uh, probability. I, I, that's a really long-winded say, to say that, long-winded way to say that. There's a good probability that they will also raise by like a full Point or a hundred basis points. Um, I don't think that that would happen, um, only because I feel like Powell would have hinted more towards that. I know some of you are like, "What, but Jerome Powell, uh, the the U.S. Fed chair said that um, they're they're willing to do what they need to do." Um, 
I don't know. I just feel like something more obvious would have been said if they were going to raise it more than 0.75. But uh, we'll see. We'll see. If the Fed does raise by a full point or 100 basis points, uh, I definitely expect the market to drop. Uh, I don't know if the market would... Well, first of all, I don't know what the market would do in any sort of scenario. But in my opinion... Uh, if we got 0.75 again, I don't think the market would like crash. That that's just my guess. Only because um, our last inflation number was I think 8.4 percent um, compared to 8.2. So although it was higher than 8.2, it wasn't that much higher. It's still scary, right? Like it, it's still showing that we're that inflation is growing, but just because it was so close and so neck to neck, I think 0.75 is just, in my opinion, priced in. If we went uh, to 100 basis points, I would think that that's not as priced in and people would overreact to that one. Um, for those that don't know, every month the CPI number comes out um, and next month, when does the next CP, CP, CPI? release dates when does the next one come out this is september 18 uh, the next one's october 13th so on october 13th we'll know for uh where inflation has gone since its last report of 8.4 percent if it comes in lower uh i can see us rallying super hard um, but until we know the next inflation number, I really don't think there's room for the market to necessarily rally, right? Like my reasoning is inflation can still be trending upwards. Like that is just the, the fact that I'm like, just like hinging on is like, if inflation trends upwards, I don't see, a, I don't see a world where we don't, um, where we, where we rally. I guess that's the most absolute way I could say it. Like if, if inflation is up and it's starting to trend back up with the CPI reports, uh, we will not rally. If we do see that inflation has gone down, I can see us rallying hard, like I mentioned before. Um, because I don't think we'll do any rate cuts, but we'll definitely slow down the next sort of like rate hike. Like maybe instead of, 0.75 we actually just do 0.50 or we raise by 0.25 and so that might you know start to be that transitory period where you know investors go from being really scared to you know feeling more confident to put more money in um but all of that is tbd um all of that we won't know until october 13th of next month which is like a solid month from here uh, basically um and uh i i can't it i man like i'm i don't think and this <laughs> this is this is just like me uh, like basically uh making stuff up now but I, I deep in my bones i don't feel like we start the next leg down until we see the next cpi number deep in my bones i think we chop and that's a guess you should not trade with this sort of guess you should never trade with guesses. You should always make sure that you know what you're doing in your own portfolio. But um, I think 
with the possibility of the next inflation number being down um, and having this like last like last report of you know inflation going up by 0.2 be like a fluke or just like catching the very tip of inflation um, it just seems way safer to wait till the next CPI number which makes me think that the market will chop I don't think there's really anything that can drive the market down besides the full point hike um, and even then I think if they did do the full point hike um, and the people got spooked right and the people are like oh you're raising rates too fast oh inflation's gonna be fine don't worry I'm gonna sell because I'm mad that, that you're raising rates too fast um, I think even if they do raise a full point, the Fed is flexible enough to only raise rates by either like 0.25 or 0.50 uh, for the next one. So they can do some like retroactive like sort of stuff where um, or reactive stuff uh, where you know if they do raise a full point and they do find out that inflation was already uh, cooling off by the next uh, CPI number, then yeah. Just the next time they raise, they'll raise less. Um, it's tricky. Like, I I want to invest my money back in so bad. Like, I, I'm, like, itching to go, go back in. But I've been really rewarded with just, like, staying out on the sidelines so far. Um, my plan about, like, kind of coming back in on an uptrend is definitely still saving my butt. Uh, and there just aren't that many companies that are like really catching my eye for a rebound. Costco still remains one of my favorite stocks to trade so far, just because it's my most successful one for this year. Uh, but then their earnings are also on Thursday, so it's like ah, I have more of an incentive to wait for at least another five days from here. I mean, if you count today being Sunday, but. Um, yeah, Costco's on my radar. I want to invest into semis. I know that I just said that I don't think there's going to be a next leg down. But both NVIDIA and AMD are at, at like a very, very crucial support. It's a really, really well-supported support. Like there's a lot of support here at AMD for the 75 price. And for NVIDIA, it's also uh, lots of uh, support here at like basically like the 130 area. The 130 area for NVIDIA has been supported since uh, August 24th, 2020. Uh, and for AMD, yeah, a little bit earlier, July of 2020 for the 75 price area. So these are prices that we haven't seen since the last two years. And, um, you know, it's, it's, the question is like, do we break down from here? It's hard to say only because like it's the, these both of these prices are also at the 200 EMA though Nvidia crashed kind of crashed through it um, and I'm looking at the weekly 20 year for the weekly one year oh yeah we're I mean we're we're definitely way past down the the 200 EMA for both of these companies but um, yeah it, it's it's tricky I'm definitely still watching the market every day. Just looking around, see like if anything really pops out. PayPal has been doing pretty well, like just remaining stable. Um, but I have to say that like uh, just investing into a fintech company when consumer 
confidence isn't all too high. It's just a little bit. It's a little. It's a little scary for me. So just choosing to stay out of that for now too as well. But Costco um, has been cooling off since it's like rally from its low since like Target's really, really uh, fear-inducing report of you know demand and outlook being slashed and everything. Um, Costco now sits at around the five hundred dollar area, um, where it like recently just like peaked at five sixty from like the the previous rally. Um, Costco's two hundred EMA is around five ten. The price of Costco right now is around five oh five, uh, and with earnings this Thursday. There is definitely room for it to go down to like the 470 area, which would be pretty sweet to pick it up there, but that would also mean I'd be picking it up well under the 200 EMA, which I'm not like a huge fan of. Um, but you know, you, this is kind of just going into, I guess my, my thought process for what I'm trying to, um, you know, pick stocks is like, you know, when I'm looking at all these different stocks, I'm always thinking like, what happens if I write a cash secure put and I do get assigned? Like, what does my situation look like uh, after assignment? Whereas I think a lot of newer traders that kind of get caught up in like the premium that, you, that they receive. And um, I think that's okay for when the market is like more bullish and it's like a little bit safer um, to invest. Right now, I would say like, more than ever you just gotta make sure that um you gotta make sure you uh, have your basis covered let me see i'm like looking at the vix right now so I, I like i'm like getting so lost in just looking at different things the vix or the volatility index is is reasonable it's like at 26 right now um crypto um for all for all that it matters is down right now um, and crypto also did its most recent um, merge of the proof of stake um, um, workflow. So it's like, I don't know, there's a, there's a lot of cool things happening right now. Oh, and we'll also kind of talk about a few other things, right? I talked about the, the FOMC, I'll close that tab. Talked about FedEx um, predicting the recession or seeing that their data, you know, says that, you know, recession is imminent. Um, yeah, and just yeah, quickly talking about crypto just because we're, we're on this uh, ETH price. I'm just typing this to Google. Uh, Ethereum right now is 1300 USD. Um, so as, as I am speaking right now, Ethereum is like cooling off. Um, it's gotten some recent hype with the, uh, the merge of the proof of stake um stuff so you know a lot of people that were expecting it to just go up from that moment are probably like exiting um let me see the next most recent support for ethereum looks like honestly the 1000 mark yeah so it can drop like 35 percent from here and i probably wouldn't bet an eye but the next support at 1000 looks pretty decent and then the next support after that is the 2020 like right before the jump in 2020 which is 775 man 
all I gotta say is if you invest into crypto, you have to have a pretty big risk appetite. And then some people might say, well, is the stock market any better? Um, and I gotta say like, man, it, from here, I don't know, I guess that's just something something you probably have to ask Michael Burry. Michael Burry also thinks that there's gonna be a, a huge crash, but we never know. Um, let me see. Okay, so that's enough about crypto. Yeah, crypto's cooling off or you know correcting as we as I speak right now, which is cool, kind of cool to watch and kind of kind of cool to see right now. But um, uh, let's see. Uh, Adobe. So I didn't know about this. Wait, actually, let me let me take a sip of water. I'm gonna pause real quick. All right. So uh, earlier in the week, uh, for those that are in the tech space. You, uh, you guys and girls have definitely been notified by someone. Someone has shared this in your Slack channels. Uh, but Adobe uh, acquired Figma. So that is freaking huge. Figma, the Figma acquisition is, I think, $20 billion. Let me just like bring that up again. Uh, Adobe uh, stock. and uh, That's like the only thing that, yeah. I mean, this article's um, title kind of says, oh, Adobe's stock got slammed for spending $20 billion on Figma. Uh, but it now owns a rare company. So for those that don't know, uh, Figma is a design tool platform. You basically have your design team who are not, like, code savvy, uh, but are more, like, you know, art savvy, design savvy. They go into like a developer portal where you log in and you get to create these like mock-ups of like designs that you want to see your engineers implement. Um, and it's just like the best solution that has been made so far. Like just flat out, like everyone that knows design knows about Figma and has been using Figma. And it's like it's far better than Adobe's XD, um, or if you wanted to get crazy, like I don't know if anyone's ever done mockups in Illustrator, but there's also Illustrator, um, and there's a few more other alternatives. But Figma is just the best. I mean, for those that are even more, you know, into the tech and you know ground ground floor in the trenches, you know about Zeppelin, but Figma just does it right. It just feels better. It looks better. It just works better. Uh, it's more developer friendly. It it just exports things faster, better. It, it's crazy how much uh, night and day difference Figma is. Um, do I personally think it's worth twenty billion? I have no idea. This is one of those moments where uh, I have enough tech knowledge to understand that Figma is worth a premium. Like I I don't know how much of a premium 20 billion is for Figma, uh, just gonna be realistic. I, I can't even fathom like that much. I can't even close my eyes and fill up a football field with cash equal amount to 20 billion. I, I don't know what that looks like. Does it take multiple football fields? Like that's a lot of money. Um, Figma was recently valued at 10 billion uh, from a recent uh, fundraise. So, uh, but fun fact, um, when Thady Gang dot com released version two uh the redesign was done in figma my last last job also used figma my last job used figma and 
my current job also uses Figma. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out. The stock, so I had no clue um, that this was actually announced um, during earnings. Like I, it just totally slipped my mind that Adobe was um, uh, reporting earnings. But uh, just looking at Adobe's chart, I had saw the the acquisition news and didn't think much of it um, last week because it was I was just pretty busy last week. Uh, but looking at the stock today, I was like, wow, Adobe is uh, at three hundred bucks. Like, when did that happen? And then I just noticed that um, Adobe went from three ninety six to now, which is uh, yeah. Two ninety nine. That is crazy. So it's easy to tell that shareholders are not happy with the twenty dollar or twenty dollar twenty billion uh, dollar uh, acquisition. Um, but this, if you believe that Adobe controlling creative with uh, the acquisition of Figma, the best in class design software then this would be a excellent opportunity to buy. You know, a lot of, you know, shareholders are probably asking like, oh, why can't you just like build Figma? You know, you have all this money um, and the, you know, the macro environment right now sucks. Like, why would you, why would you spend a premium like this on picking up a company um, during a time like this? Why would you spend all that much? And I can see justification in it because, you know, if, you know, uh, if Adobe is willing to pick them up, they're willing to get picked up. And that means that Figma, you know, with productivity and, you know, uh, you know, businesses moving slower, that they themselves could have seen some trouble too. So from Figma's point perspective, I can also see like this being a perfect time to exit where, you know, businesses might not be hiring for creative creatives right now, or like businesses might not be um, trying to expand their teams and include creatives right now. So um, getting out right now is probably a good thing for Figma. Uh, Adobe, you know, might not never have gotten even a chance to acquire Figma if it wasn't for a, an environment like this. Maybe, you know, if Figma was valued even higher during the bull market run, um, and maybe you know took too much market share away from Adobe and started doing all these other crazy things. So it's like a balance act right now. I think Adobe is taking like it's definitely a risky play, but I can see the value and the risk. Whereas like a regular investor is like, ah, oh, they're just spending twenty billion on this random piece of software, but it's it's actually not random and it's not hyped. Like Figma is just good like it's i can't i can't put into words better than that really it's like when you use it you understand like why like it's it, it like everyone talks about it so well um so i think it's risky uh i'll just kind of end my rant here i think it's risky but i think it's a very calculated risk i think the opportunity here is only possible because of that we're in a recession right now I'm not saying that this is a good move for the recession, but I see why that this was, why this was like, uh, even an option in the first place, and that this is an option that they're taking. I get it. I see it. I hope it works out. Let's move on.
Okay, and moving on to today's episode, um, you know, what is the best trade to do right now? Um, definitely my own opinion, but I've gotten this question the most in my emails, uh, more than any other one, because, uh, you know, people understand that I am sold out of the market, but they were asking like, oh, I caught into this podcast, uh, really late. I'm just now getting into option selling. What do you, what do you think are the best sort of, um, sort of trades to jump into right now if you had to. Like I get a lot of those, like if you had to do it, right? So I wanna give a responsible answer that's more than just like, oh, you know, just don't do it or just paper trade. And uh, let me just start out with that one first, I, I guess. Um, I think paper trading is still bad. I don't, I, I don't think I'll ever advocate for paper trading um, because I just assume that most people are not disciplined uh, and I would, it would eat me up inside if I told you to paper trade and then you did really well paper trading uh, and then your first real life trade you started doing, you get into the red just a little bit and you panic and you sell and you, you know, snowball that loss into another snowball the loss and you kind of panic, freak out and lose everything. Um, it's tricky. I, I don't want to just assume the worst uh but i do want to set you up for success in a realistic um manner there are a lot of things that paper trading doesn't teach you where i think right now in a volatile environment you can make a lot of money in either direction really like you know chances are we go down more than up um but even if you buy calls like if you have like some really rudimentary system where it's like oh after three red days there has to be a green day and then you buy lots of calls and then you actually make like a few thousand dollars and you're like wow yeah this is awesome in a paper trading account and then you do that exact same thing in uh in your real account after you know realizing you're so awesome and then getting got it's totally totally different so um i would you know want you to start small and be in a like a real account because even when you lose, start losing like a few dollars, it starts to like get into your head and you need to start sort of like shaking off or you know getting jaded to those sorts of movements and start thinking about like the long-term plan. That sounds very guru-y, um, but it's like the best way I could say it. Like you have to learn how to, you know, take your losses in stride, but also, you know, w handle your emotions while you're in the red. Because, you know, as you're, on the sell side, a lot of your trades will start off red and eventually turn green. But that's 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 kind of like more more um, information for I guess later. So while not paper trading, I still think right now, just like with uh, you know what my last episode was about, I still think selling options right now is not a good idea. Um, if I had to do some sort of like trade plan now. And I just had like, you know, tons of money just ready to go. And I'm just like bored. And this is like maybe play money that I just want to go in and trade and have fun. Um, I would personally rather dollar cost average into a position for 100 shares and then start selling covered calls from there on forward. Um, and then start doing something where maybe every covered call that you sell, you save up to buy like another share of another company. And you start 
having this sort of like gamified system where you're using your cover call premium to start another wheel where you eventually save up enough cover call premium to buy another 100 shares of something else. Realistically, that will take you a very long time. But that is like the, I guess, the happy path example of what a lot of people like to illustrate when talking about like data game strategies is like, oh, using cover call premium to do all sorts of other things. Um, but I guess my main focus and like telling someone that what they want to hear when they want to hear like, oh, what's the one strategy that you can say um, that you would do? And it's probably this one. It's like dollar cost averaging into a position and eventually selling covered calls. There's a strategy that I like to personally use where I buy in increments of 12, 13, or 25. So like, for example, um, if I'm in a rush to buy into a position, maybe I buy 25 shares at, for my first purchase. Um, and then, you know, maybe I see a, a big red day um, the next day or something, then maybe I'll buy 13. But maybe, you know, after my first 25, the market goes really up, right? And I don't want to spend all too much. Then I have this like, mental thing that I like to do where, you know, if it's a green day and I want to buy in, I buy 12 shares. If it's a red day, I want to buy in, I buy 13 shares. If it's like a catastrophic day or like a really good day, really, really good day, then I'll buy it in increments of 25. That's just how I gauge the rate of, you know, when I get into the stock. And that kind of makes sure that I eventually get to some, um, some amount of 100. Uh, in, in some way, sorry, that was a very complicated way of saying it. So I'm always like basically buying in batches of 25 or halves of 25 all the way up to 100. Um, I think this is the most realistic way to just enter a position right now um, because on any real given day, if you wanted to just buy outright like 100 shares and immediately write a covered call, you're still very susceptible to a market drop where covered calls soon don't make sense after just like one week. Whereas like if you are just wanting to write out this like very choppy, um, this very choppy environment, you get rewarded a lot for taking your time to enter positions. So if you, uh, you know, did a few purchases of 12, 13, 25, 13, 12, 25, 13, 12, and then you eventually get to 100, um, and maybe you do that over a course of like two months, you know, there's a good chance you're gonna have a lot more information of what and where the market's gonna go. If you take your time buying into your positions right now, you'll know where the CPI numbers are at, namely the next two, which are, I think, really important. Uh, and you'll also um, get like tabs on just like how the Fed is um, also going to be handling inflation. Like what does the next few speeches look like from Powell and all, all this great information that you get rewarded for taking your time getting in. You're not going to make as much as the person that slams all of it all in at the bottom of this inflation wave, right? You're not going to make as much. But what you do get in return for going in slowly is peace of mind, right? You'll, you'll always have in the back of your head that you have many, many times to double down. Um, but, you know, if the market does continue going down, 
you are doing infinitely better than the person that went all in trying to catch the bottom because that person that went in trying to catch the bottom has no other choice to, but to stay in or take a massive loss. However, if you go in slowly in 13, 12 shares, 25 shares, you can do that for a really long time and at the very end come out in a solid spot. If not in a solid spot, in a spot better than the person that went all in trying to catch the bottom. And that's my own copium of how I beat just like the every everyday retail trader. In 2020 and 2021, when the market like was going up despite like everyone saying like, oh, you know, COVID is gonna end us all and all this doomsday talk. Like everyone, everyone was so, so scared. Um, and I was scared too. I was, you know, very famously quoted as optimistically bullish. Um, I think it's about finding what makes you put in the next trade. Like what, what is what is that thing that you enjoy most about winning? Now, obviously, everyone likes to make money, but it goes a little bit more in depth for me than that, right? For me, in any of my hobbies really it's about finding the way to do it the whatever i'm doing the most simplest way for me where i beat the people that try the hardest i like being more efficient than the other person uh i like being um i like being better than like the triard i guess is like what i what i kind of go for so any sort of scenario where you know Oh, you know, I'll justify this with getting in with um, going in slowly, dollar cost averaging. Um, you know, if I lose, hey, at least I'm doing way better than the person that went all in, right? It sounds like a really weird comparison, right? Like, oh, but Judy, you're you're doing still worse than the person that like uh, didn't go in at all, but. It, you gotta pay some price for going in. There's some opportunity cost for the other person as well. Um, if you did it in a safe manner, then you know, hey, I at least I went into the market. Uh, yes, I have a, maybe a small to medium loss, uh, but what if the market had rallied? Then you know, this is still this was still a calculated decision with some risk involved where I lost. Then I can't be upset with myself. So that's just kind of the emotions that I'm also feeling right now as I'm 100% cash right now. I mean, I still have my IRA, so I'm not like, I'm not 100% cash, but, uh, and I have crypto as well. But in terms of my options portfolio that I share on twitch.tv slash realthetagang and thetagang.com slash juni, um, that, that one's all cash. Um, I'm thinking about opportunity costs all the time. Um, and when I do enter the market again, it's probably going to be with this plan in mind. Um, I would hope that we rally at some point uh, with uh, the inflation number, CPI number being down below 8.4, indicating that we're back downwards on a downtrend and I start dollar cost averaging from there. Um, but who knows, maybe inflation does continue to go higher and then it's just the waiting game. I think that about wraps it up for today. Just want to say thank you to everyone that's continuing to listen, continually, continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, I appreciate you all. 
the Twitch stream will be on at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time this week. Just the regular time, like nothing has changed. Um, very, very frustrating. I can understand for some people that keep getting juked by these time changes. But um, my jiu-jitsu schedule is also not set in stone. Um, but this is definitely what is set for this week. So I can definitely commit to Tuesday at 7.30 Pacific time. And uh, for those that are too busy or, you know, just don't really partake in the twitchness of things, uh, I do wish that you are uh, doing well. I know that I am still staying in touch with, like, a good bit of handful of you that, you know, have we've just stayed in contact through email because of this podcast. So I always appreciate you guys and girls checking in. It's always cool seeing the screenshots you guys send me or like pictures of orchids or telling me about how your jobs are going. It's pretty cool um, what this podcast has like introduced me to, all the cool people that I've been able to meet. Um, lots of cool people in the Discord, far cooler than me, but uh, you know, I'll kind of leave it at that. Um, but anyway, um, I will see everybody next week on the podcast or on Twitch on Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time at twitch.tv slash Uh And bye-bye. I want to give a shout-out to my patrons here uh, for helping me support the website, podcast, and everything. Um, Arfman, Avrilian, Beans J. Kim, Can't Make Money, IRL, Chicken Dinner, Empty Cans, Fancy Wolf, Froggy Fresh Trades, Grand Pound 85, Jay-Z and Kaput, Lazy Reservist, Leo Jesse, and Lois Garator. Maestro X, Mom, NAT56, McFly, Matt, M. Hayden, Mike D, Mitch Bay7, Mods, Mr. Integrity, Mr. Sneezy, Pastor Bedtime, Pocket Change, Rooster, Rustier, Seneca, Shifty, Slow Motion, Statistically Random, Simon Tricks, The Jester, Theater Ray, Upstream Puddle, Vlad TC, and Insist88.